guys. Welcome to episode 15. Today we're talking about eight things you really need to know about those pesky pests in your garden. I'm Michelle Visser, author of Sweet Maple and creator of the blog and YouTube channel Solely Rested, because sometimes the only rest you can find is in your soul. Welcome back to the Simple Doesn't Mean Easy podcast, where we talk about how to simplify our lives in the midst of modern day life, one step at a time. Let's do this together. So in my personal opinion, one of the absolute best ways that you can simplify things just a little bit is to really focus on your food. And that can start off at a very simple level. In fact, just last episode, we talked about how you can make your own pantry staples and why that matters, why it's important, and how you can just start with one thing. Just kind of get your pinky toe wet, (laughs) so so to say. Um, But if you can get to the point that you can start actually growing some of your own food, I mean, maybe you've, maybe you're there, maybe you've done it your whole life. It's it, whatever stage you're at with gardening, it never gets old, does it? It is always a thrill. It's always unbelievably miraculous. I don't know. Maybe you guys aren't like me, but for me, every single year, I'm still shocked that a tiny little seed grows to the seedling that it does inside of our home. I was going to say inside of our bathroom because that's actually typically where most of the seedlings grow in our bathroom. But then I stopped myself because I thought that sounds really kind of odd, doesn't it? (laughs) I don't have any kind of a professional setup in any way to grow our seedlings in the winter. And I really should because it's a long winter here in New England. And every year, I think next year, I'm going to get some sort of a nice setup. But no, for now, I string them all over our sunny bathroom. So there, now you know my secret. (laughs) Um, Anyway, it's just amazing how that seed turns into the seedling. And then on top of that, when I plant the seedlings, like first of all, that is such an exciting day every spring to get your hands in the dirt for the first time and to think about like the miracle of summer ahead of you. But then just a few weeks later, how those seedlings take off and it's just crazy how quickly they double in size once they're in the ground. And actually this year, my almost son-in-law, they're actually getting married next week. So exciting. My second daughter is having her wedding. It's a lot different this time around than last summer with COVID. So it's going to be a much different kind of wedding, but it's still extremely exciting. So I'm going to call him my son-in-law because he's almost my son-in-law. This summer, my son-in-law got out his drone and got pictures of my garden at different stages. And I can't tell you how exciting that was for me to see it from the air, you know, in like two week intervals. So exciting. I shared it on Instagram whenever he did it. And I think, I think they're saved in my highlights. They are my garden highlights. If you want to check out those aerial shots and it's a, see the amazing difference from one week to the next. So anyway, gardening is awesome. And whether you can just plant one tomato plant in a pot on a windowsill, or whether you have acres and acres to till and work the land, whatever the case, I guarantee you, you will run into a problem with pests at one time or another, if not 
all the time, right? (laughs) It's just a never ending battle. No matter how long you've been gardening, you will have problems with pesky bugs eating your food. So today we're going to talk about the eight things that I think everyone really needs to know about garden bugs and pests. First of all, they are not all the same. In general, you find that you have soft-bodied ones and hard-bodied ones. And of course, you're going to have to use different measures against the different soft-body versus hard-body. But you also use different measures on different ones, different bugs. Um, and depending on what the bug is doing or what plant they're on, there are different measures you're going to follow. So that's the first thing to know that unfortunately it's just not a one size fits all solution. There's a lot of different ways to tackle it depending on the type of bug, the stage of life the bug is in, what the bug is doing, what plant they're on, the stage of the summertime even. So don't lose heart, but (laughs) there's not a one size fits all solution. Second of all, um, I just actually said this, that they do come in stages and it's important to know what to do at the different stages because certain things that will help in the nymph stage are not going to kill it in the egg stage sometimes. So for instance, um, squash beetles, they actually have five stages that they go through. They start off as eggs. So when they're these tiny little eggs, the best thing to do is to pick them off by hand. By the way, gardening is never something that is super quick and easy either. It is something that is very meticulous. On the other hand, if you can find a way to just spend 20 or 30 minutes a day in the garden. And maybe that's obscene because I know some days that's obscene for me. And I, I actually, it's been two days since I've even been to my garden as I sit here today and tell you this. So (laughs) don't think that everybody can or does do this, but if there's any way you can spend just 20 minutes a day in your garden, it's amazing how all of this can be done in a short period of time. If you can be, um, pretty determined and regular with your routine. By the way, I'm wondering if I should describe what the squash eggs look like, but I'm thinking there's no reason to get into that great detail because this episode per se is not about squash beetles specifically, but garden pests in general. But I will leave a link in the show notes to a post about squash beetle control, and there you'll see a picture there of what the eggs look like. They're very distinctive. Um, and then the squash beetle will move on to the second stage, which I don't, I'm sure it has a specific name. I don't know the name of the stages, but it looks like a tiny little spider. So it gets confusing if you're not familiar with what pest this is that you're dealing with. And if you're not familiar with the stages of the pest, you can get confused about what is it. And you might turn over a squash leaf, a squash plant leaf (laughs) and think, oh, wow, why are the spiders gone crazy on this plant? Well, it's not spiders, it's nymph squash beetles. So it's good to know the stages and be familiar with them so you don't get confused and think it's something else because at that stage, a squash beetle looks nothing like a squash beetle, right? And the next stage, same thing. It's like this gray, almost kind of triangular shaped gray 
thing and it's a soft, still soft bodied at that point. Then it turns a little brownish gray for the next stage. And then you get to the adult stage where it's the really ugly, hard shelled squash beetle, which by the time it gets to that stage, you don't see it a lot because those adults are smart. They know how to hide and they just come out to lay their eggs. So basically my whole point to all this is when you figured out what the pest is, learn the stages. So you know, to recognize it at every stage. And then the third thing you should know about garden pests is what you're planting matters. Whatever you have around the plant that is being infested matters. Um, there's a concept called companion planting that really is an important concept to grasp if you get to the stage that you have acreage that you're planting or you have a larger garden. Of course, if you just have a tomato plant in a pot, you might not have time or room or want to worry with companion planting. You still could do it. You still could have another pot beside the tomato plant that is a good companion to the tomato. But basically you want to, when it comes down to garden pests, you want to plant things around the plant that you're concerned about that deter those pests. So a lot of times it's flowering herbs, which I actually did a blog post and a podcast all about the herbs that we feed to our chickens. So I'll link to that as well. But herbs have so many great uses. And this is another one of them that they actually deter a lot of garden bugs. And things like um, oregano, mint, we have bee balm and some dill all make quite an impact on the squash beetle. The fourth thing you should know is that where you're planting matters. Crop rotation is another concept that's very important if you have an in-ground garden. And it's important to move those crops year to year on a rotation schedule to keep your soil healthy and to get the crop away from the infestation in the ground of the eggs of maybe let's say it's Japanese beetles that you had this year on your climbing beans. If you can move those climbing beans next year, the Japanese beetles have laid their eggs in the ground where those climbing beans were. But if you move them to a whole different area next year, it's going to be really hard for those young nymph beetles to find an appropriate plant to latch onto. Of course, there's a lot more to the concept of companion planting and a lot of other reasons to do it, but that's, I think, pretty much all I wanted to mention for now, that it really does help with avoiding a pest problem from year to year. The fifth thing you should know is that you really need to tweak your weapon depending on the enemy. You see, whether you're fighting an aphid or a Japanese beetle or a squash bug, or a blister beetle, or whatever it is that you're fighting, you probably want to try different weapons, not only against what enemy it is, but what stage of life that enemy is at. So some things like diatomaceous earth and an organic spray, I actually have one that I love that I find to be extremely effective that I whip up from items that are in my kitchen every day. But when you put the right items together in the right concoction, it happens to be pretty gross smelling. I'm sure extremely gross tasting and a great effective fight 
and weapon against a lot of bugs. So I'll share the link for that as well. I'm just writing this down so I don't forget. Um, okay. So another thing that you can do is <laughs> my weapon of choice against squat or against um, Japanese beetles is an old jar with a lid that's filled with water. I know it sounds a little weird, right? It happens to also be great food for the chicken. I'll get to that. So I keep this jar in my garden at all times. In fact, just last week, a neighbor came over and sat down in the garden to chat and was looking around and looked down and said, why do you have a jar of salsa in your garden? <laughs> I said, oh no, that's just, the lid just says salsa. Trust me, it's not salsa. And I started to even show her what I had in there and I realized, uh, he said, you know what? I'm not even going to open this because the smell is pretty foul. I'm just going to explain to you because once you open that lid, well, I should tell you, I have to explain to you what I do with it before I tell you what it smells like. Um, whenever I see a Japanese beetle, it's kind of an addiction of mine. Actually. I like, can't just let it go. I can't just move on with my day, pick the cucumbers I came to the garden for and go back to the house. If I see a Japanese beetle, I am like, stop everything. Where's my jar? Because I use the lid to flick the beetle. And sometimes you have to be kind of, uh, tricky about like, if it's sitting on a leaf, I might stick the leaf in the slightly open jar and just kind of pull the leaf out, rubbing the beetle against the leaf, against the lid, and then it falls into the water. Um, other times, honestly, if you're going to think I'm weird, if they're mating, it's the easiest time to snag them because first of all, you get two for one. And second of all, they're busy not paying attention to you. And they really are easy to just flick right into the jar. Um, so then once they touch the water, they can't get out. So I just let them hang out in the water. They die. And then whenever I get around to it, I will feed it to my chicken. I'll just open the lid, call the chicken over and they go crazy. There's like, I think they like Japanese beetle snacks like that more than I get excited when somebody offers me a bar of chocolate Toblerone. I mean, seriously, they love it. So it seems silly in a way, but I mean, I felt kind of funny when my neighbor's like, why is there salsa in your, in your garden? But it's honestly a very effective tool. And again, if, if you're routine about it, it really only takes a few seconds and it, it really does keep the Japanese beetles under control. I always have them in the garden. I've never completely ridded the garden of them. I don't know if that will ever happen on this side of eternity, <laughs> but it does do a pretty good job of keeping them from destroying any of the plants in the garden. And another thing then that kind of leads to is sometimes I can't reach the Japanese beetles. Sometimes they're in an odd spot, like they're really high up on the top of the climbing beans. And then I just have to sacrifice that area of the garden. I just have to sacrifice those really high parts of the climbing beans and realize, okay, they are going to die. That part up at the top, all those leaves are going to be eaten by the beetles and it's going to die, but I can't reach up there to pick beans anyway. So it's okay. And sometimes I even have a sacrificial plant, like the whole plant. Last year, our squash beetles got so bad. It was awful. In fact, I'm working on a post right now. Once that's done, I'll link that in the, well, I already said I was going to link that, didn't I? Yeah. 
um, in the show notes, but it, it was just awful last year. And I finally realized, okay, instead of pulling all of the squash plants out, I left one as a sacrificial plant in one. I had two areas last year. Thankfully, I was really thankful. I did have two areas of squash plants because one area, a few of the plants actually survived because I left a sacrificial plant in another area. And that was enough to keep the squash beetles happy and content in that area. And I was able to have a few squash survive like, and actually have a few squash to eat. So that is a helpful thing. And that actually is point number six, that you do sometimes just have to sacrifice some things. Sometimes you have to just give up the battle, realizing that by giving up the battle in this area, another area is going to prosper. Seventh thing, especially coming from somebody who has an AP area here, AP, <laughs> I was going to say apiary area but that is not really possible to say. So I have an apiary here on the homestead and it's very important to remember the bees, especially with things like diatomaceous earth, which I just mentioned in passing. Maybe I should explain to you. Diatomaceous earth, if you're not familiar with it, is it just, it's just a white powder to our eyes. But what it actually is, is like these fossilized remains of tiny little aquatic creatures. And they're so... Um, jagged. They're like little pieces of glass to a soft bodied insect that will crawl across this that just looks like powdered us and it will kill them because it cuts them up. It cuts up their bellies and they can't survive. So it's a very effective tool against certain pests in the garden, but be careful because if you get some of it on the bloom of the plant, you're going to kill the bees and your garden relies very heavily on the bees. Even if you don't have an apiary, even if it's just the, you know, the wild bees coming to your garden, you really want to protect them because, you know, we all know there's a problem around the world with the bee population and we need to do all we can to help them and not hinder them, right? So anything that you're doing, like the even the organic spray that I'm list, listing in the show notes, um, that can be harmful to a bee, just like it's harmful to any other insect. So when you're spraying it, keep it on the underside of the leaves of the plant. Don't let it get on the bloom. Okay. Last thing, the eighth thing that I want to make sure everybody should know about garden pests is guys, it's not easy. If I haven't made that clear enough, I need to just outright say it. It is not an easy task. And to be honest, my father, who I greatly respected as a gardener, learned so much from him and I miss him dearly. So many times I'm in the garden and I wish I could just give him a call and tell him about things or ask him certain things or just have a long talk about something. But um, he unfortunately was not on the bandwagon with organic gardening and he was very into the commercial pesticides because he saw great response with them. He saw very effective, quick ways to keep his garden gorgeous. But sadly, I mean, we all know, I don't have to get into a spiel about pesticides, but that, that's not what we want in our water supply. And that is not what we want on our food. So unfortunately, even though that seems like the easier path, and it certainly is in a lot of ways, um, going with the organic 
path of gardening and doing all these things I've been talking about, having the jar and picking off the eggs and picking off the bugs and going out and spraying. Oh, and also I didn't mention with the spray, you know, it's not a once and done kind of thing, even though it's very effective. Of course, as soon as it rains, you got to respray, right? And pretty much after just even a few days, depending on your weather, you're going to have to respray. Now, you can make it easy for yourself in the sense that you can make a large quantity, use a concentrate and keep a jar of it in your garden. And then when the jar is gone, you just can quickly refill it with your concentrate. Um, you could even have a couple jars in the garden in different spots. So you can try and make it easy on yourself, but it's just, it has to be done and it, it takes time, right? So it's not easy, but guys, it is so worth it. When you pick off that giant heirloom, ripe, warm tomato, you walk up to the house, you slice some bread, you slather it with some butter, and you put this giant slice of amazing, gorgeous redness on that bread, and you enjoy the best lunch known to man, you know it was all worth it. So... Take heart, even though it's not easy, we can do it. We can. I mean, you know, simple doesn't mean easy, but it is worth it. Okay, so now it's time for a quick shout out to one of you awesome folks. I mean, seriously, I I couldn't do this. Without you guys, this would be nothing. Whatever I do, it's nothing without you guys. And I so love hearing from you. I promise you, I check the ratings page often. So if you leave me a review over on your favorite podcast player, oh my goodness, you make my day. Seriously. Like I, I tell my daughters, I tell Bill, he's like, oh, cool. <laughs> so anyway, um, thank you today to JNR Farm Station, who says, love this show. I love listening to Michelle's show. Simple doesn't mean easy is informative and inspiring thank you. Well, you are absolutely welcome and thank you. So if you have any trouble finding the show notes, guys, always, you can go over to solelyrested.com slash podcast. All the information is there as well as links to all of your favorite podcast players where you can go ahead over and subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. So that is it for today. Oh, also check out solelyrested.com slash coupons for any current and upcoming specials from all of the many businesses that I absolutely love working with and the products that I love using. Again, it's solelyrested.com slash coupons. Thanks, guys. I hope everything is absolutely fantastic in your neck of the woods today. <laughs>